0: Familiar story, kind of what comes up next as we're following this, these words of Jesus and his path as he walks. Again, last week in the end of John chapter 12, where those beginning with verse 44, those are the last public words that Jesus would speak, recorded by John. Everything else now turns to a smaller group in private conversations. Chapter 13, verse 1, now before the feast of the Passover, When Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he rises from supper, laid aside his garments, and took a towel, and he girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. We come to this moment, and I'll read more in just a second, but I think this is probably one of the most difficult moments for us to imagine with all that it meant. We understand, in some margin, most of the things that Jesus encountered difficult things, good things, miracles, and we can have some understanding of it, but this one is different because this is the creator of the universe. This is God himself on his knees with a towel around him, washing the dirty feet of the men with whom he had walked. It is almost impossible to get my heart around that. I can see him doing noble things. I can see him doing miraculous things. I can even see him being humble in things. This goes beyond that. Because this one says, I have no right. I have no claim. I have nothing I can demand. Now, why is Jesus doing it? Well, we have we go back to the, earlier in John chapter 5 when Jesus says, I can only do what I see my Father do. So why is he washing the disciples' feet? Because in this obedience... He was doing exactly what he saw in this moment. So I can see him doing some of the miracles that he did. I can see him. He encounters this woman at the well. But this is the father putting his son on his knees in front of these dirty feet. Harder for me to come into grips with. Because I know that if he would do it for them, he does it for me. What it took for the next things to unfold originate right here. When you look at people around you and you start creating this segregation of people and saying, I would for some, but I wouldn't for others, this levels that ground because he washed Judas' feet. The person who would be the most vile, the person that you would resent the most, be the most angry at, the most bitter toward, didn't change where Jesus was. Nothing, nothing was more important than the obedience. Jay spoke on this so well on Sunday morning. Because what does obedience bring us? What's our pay for obedience? Joy. It's joy. I have pondered on that sermon so many times this week. So many things came out of it that just still resonate within me. He just used some illustrations that just answered some things, and I've used them several times since, even this afternoon. So many things that were used. We come to these passages realizing what was the outcome for Jesus of this kind of obedience. It was joy. He wasn't doing this with heaviness. He didn't wash Peter's, watch James, wash John's coming down this list, comes to Judas, and it's like, oh, good grief. The others were bad enough. Here's Judas. I know what he's done. I know what he's said. I know the betrayal has occurred. I know what's happened. But obedience finds its currency of joy. If you're missing joy, I can tell you with absolute certainty why. But we get to this next piece. This is the confusing piece. We see Jesus in humility here. We see Jesus in tenderness here. We see Jesus in obedience here. But humility was not his message. He was not telling us to wash each other's feet, though we certainly can. He is not telling us that there's any merit in washing someone's feet. So please, whatever you do, don't do it unless, and I'll tell you what the unless is as we go. This was not about washing feet. Going a little further. Verse 6. Then he comes to Simon Peter, And Peter said unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. So he's saying, Peter, you're misunderstanding the message. And I'm sure Peter was understanding it the way that we would approach it. There's no reason you shouldn't be washing my feet. I should be washing yours. And Jesus is saying, Peter, at this point, you don't know what I'm doing, but you will in a minute. And Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, says, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Quite an abrupt answer. And Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So Peter's typical response was, I don't want you to wash my feet. If you wash my feet, then I, you'll never do it. I will never let you wash my feet. But Jesus gives him the answer, if I don't wash your feet, I'll have nothing to do with you. So the pendulum swings completely to the other side, and Peter says, okay, wash me head to toe. Again, not any great surprise that Peter would answer that way. And Jesus said in verse 10, he that is washed needs not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And you are clean, but not all. If you read that in greek what you would recognize very quickly is that the word wash and washed and the word wash are not the same word it's unfortunate that in, the, in an english translation that we end up with the same word in that scripture but one word he that is washed and that word means head to toe bathed it's the actual word he that's bathed needs not accept this word wash is, is to wash your feet. So basically the scripture says for anybody that's been bathed, all you need is for your feet to be washed. And it was a very common example, a very common illustration, because they bathed publicly. They bathed in bathhouses, and then they would walk home. What would happen when they walked home? Your feet would get dirty. So Jesus would sing, using a very common illustration, if you've bathed, you just need your feet washed, and that's what I've come to do. Because he announces to Peter, you're already bathed. You're already clean. You've already been washed head to toe. So we know something here. We know that he's telling Peter, you're saved. Your faith, your, your belief in me. If we were to ask at this point, is Peter a Christian or not? Absolutely. Because that's what he's saying. You have been bathed. I've already done it. So all I need to do now is to wash your feet. Much simpler picture. And so he's trying to tell Peter something, but he's not talking about washing feet at all. This message actually has nothing to do with washing feet except Jesus in this moment to teach this lesson was obedient in washing the feet. So if you're going to wash somebody's feet, the only time you wash somebody's feet is if it's in obedience because God's got a lesson. He's got a message he wants to deliver. There's no merit in feet washing. Feet washing is always, like everything else, is an act of obedience. But this isn't talking about feet washing. This is talking about forgiveness. Jesus is telling Peter, if I have forgiven you, head to toe, completely, thoroughly cleansed you of everything, of all unrighteousness, all you have to do, when your feet get dirty, come back and I will wash you again. I will forgive you again. We read this in 1 John chapter 1. This is beautifully written. This segment is beautifully written in 1 John chapter 1 when when in this teaching the Holy Spirit prompts John to write, Come unto me. Let's just go read it. It'll be better. 1 John chapter 1. I want to begin with verse 1. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled. So we have experienced this of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we've seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write unto you, that your joy may be full, so that you may be joyful. He's saying, I'm going to write these things. This is where it's coming from. It's coming out of this experience, this stuff that we know. Jay said it the other day. It's one of the things I keep using. He looked at me and said, "You know, I truly don't know how my mom and dad love me. I don't understand it. I can imagine it, I can talk about it, but I truly don't know what it's like for my parents to love me. He said, but in November, when they put that little girl in my arms, I will know how my parents love me. Because some things have to be understood by experience. And there's no way to gain them without experience. John is writing here from experience. He's saying, I'm talking to you about things I know personally. I'm talking to you about things that I have experienced, not that I read, not, not that I heard in concept. I'm telling you something that I have experienced. So all that introduction is John giving credibility to say, I'm coming out of something that I know so well because I've experienced it with God And then he says, I I write this so that your joy can be full. So here's how we become joyful. Verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and now declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say, and he's writing to Christians, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, As he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Notice this cleansing and the forgiveness and how these things interchange. And then in verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, if we will face them, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So what is he so beautifully telling us here? As Christians, you've been bathed, but you're going to walk in a world where your feet are going to get dirty. You're going to experience things, encounter things, and your feet are going to get dirty. And here's my promise. Every single time, that you come with dirty feet. Every time you come confessing that I just walked through something dirty, there's sin in my life. Anger, resentment, hatred, and here, unforgiveness. If those things are present, God's saying you can deny it and you make me a liar or you can confess it and I'll wash you clean every single time. You never have to live with heaviness. You never have to live feeling dirty. You never have to live carrying burden. Because every time you come, every time, and notice when the woman is brought to him in adultery, Jesus doesn't say, okay, uh, everybody's gone now, tell me your story. I need to hear your story because if I hear your story, then I'll know whether I can forgive you or not, or I'll tell you what to do. No, he had no fascination at all with her story. Why not? Because it didn't make any difference. It didn't make any difference to him what the level of guilt she carried or the level of shame she carried. It didn't matter to him. He knew that his grace was more than her sin. His grace was more than anything that she could have possibly done. His grace was greater. Because the scripture we study in James chapter 4, he giveth more grace. More than what? More than my sadness. More than my anger. More than my frustration. More than my disappointment. More than my anguish, he gives more grace than anything else that I have. So he's just telling Peter, if you're a believer, washed head to toe. And he says that not all. He's speaking of Judas there. Because Judas is not in that category of being washed head to toe. Judas wasn't saved. He says it right here. We understand that. A matter of fact, he goes on to explain that in the next verse. When he says, but not all, verse 10 ends. And you are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, you are not all clean. So he points very directly at Judas. Judas isn't clean. So people ask me, was Judas saved? No, he wasn't. I mean, Jesus is made very clear here that he was not clean. He had never been washed head to toe. Notice how Jesus ends this. Verse 12. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know you what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your Master, have washed your feet. Substitute a new word in there. If I, your Lord and your Master, have forgiven you, if I have forgiven you, you also ought to forgive one another. Upon what basis would we not forgive if we have been forgiven so much upon what ground would we stand what would be our justification for not forgiving if he forgave us we don't have any there's no ground to stand on there's no level of hurt no level of disappointment because his grace was given in spite of us he says if I gave you that grace and forgave you then it gets extended to those around and then this last part For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than him that sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. What will unforgiveness always bring? Bitterness, more hurt, more frustration, more disappointment. Why? Because the recipe is obedience. Forgiveness is in that list. Forgiveness as an act of obedience will always produce joy. If you're absent of joy, look at the cards in your hand. What am I missing? It will always be obedience. And forgiveness seems to be one of those cards that we have a hard time playing. It is one of those things that we have to come to the complete end of ourselves before forgiveness will come. Because we will... Hang on to many, many things. Forgiveness is the last. And it begins, we heard this other day, if you don't forgive yourself, if you don't love who God made you to be, it's hard to find the basis forgiveness for anything else because you have to accept forgiveness for yourself and see yourself in the eyes of how God sees you through his grace for that to be done easily to somebody else. But he says, if you do, you will absolutely be happy. Such a powerful picture of forgiveness. Because Jesus is saying, I could walk away from this very bitter. I could be angry. The cross would not have unfolded as it unfolded if Jesus had walked away from this moment bitter. <laughs> Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful picture. Such a clear picture of forgiveness. And I do pray, Lord, not only for those here, but for so many. It's the reality of forgiving themselves. The reality of me forgiving myself. And I thank you, Lord, that you allow me to do it. That I can live clean and whole before you every day. Because when my feet are dirty, I can come to you. And you tell me you'll never grow weary. You'll never get tired of loving me that way. I thank you for that. It means more than I can even express in words. To know that you love me enough to forgive me and wash my feet. So, Lord, let us come to the reality of a mirror in front of us, not to make us feel guilty, but so that we can see the sin that's there so we can bring it and be forgiven. Not to bring hurt, not to bring bitterness, but to bring freedom. I thank you for it. I just thank you, Lord. My heart just kind of jumps out of my chest when Melissa talks. I look at her and I look at her family. I look at her mom. Known them so long. There's just a a powerful personal victory, and I just love it when they talk. They tell an unbelievable story of how you love them, and I just thank you for them, and I just love hearing Melissa stand every time she stands, hear the laughter, and hear the truth. I thank you, Lord, for the victories of her days, of the good things that you have in store for her and for her family, and that they get to live these out recognizing that what you've done, what you've promised, that they don't have to go back. There's never a day they have to live in dread because of the past becoming part of their life again because you promised they don't ever have to go back. I thank you, Lord, that you assured that to me through her words. I don't have to go back to look for the answer that I'm looking for. I can look forward. I can look at you. And know that your answer is coming. Thank you for that because it removes a whole lot of headache and a whole lot of worry. In Jesus' name, amen.